0: Well, good morning. We're going to come to the word on our way to the table this morning, and we're going to be um, in Hebrews chapter 10 in just a moment. We're in, this is the year of yes. We think that is an incredible idea. We love this idea, the year of yes, because yes is such a God word. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. They're all yes in Christ. God fulfills his promises. And then it says, and so through him we say amen. Through him we bring our yes. So God promises and is faithful and we say yes God will receive it and we'll be obedient to it. So we got this yes love relationship going on with God. We think it's a great idea. The year of yes. And we're doing some uh, mini-series within the year of yes. And we did four weeks on the promises of God that we just looked at um, in the last four weeks. And we're going to I'm going to allude to those again today. But today's the beginning, as Ben mentioned, about uh, a, new, a new subseries on hope. And uh, we're going to be looking, at kind of using this book as, a, uh, as an extra resource. If you want to buy it, that's awesome. If you don't want to buy it, that's fine, too. You're not going to miss out on anything by not getting the book. But we're going to, a few of his chapters, we're going to um, sort of parallel some of the themes so that you can have an additional resource in thinking about hope. But hope is great. Hope, we need hope. We live in hope. We all live in hope every day. We wouldn't get up in the morning without hope. There is is hope that is applied to your life in almost every single aspect. You have some set of expectations that what you believe to be true, the good that you believe could happen, might happen in a given day. That's why you get up. That's why you get going in the day. That's why you apply yourself to the hope that is out there. You hope that this relationship you're in is going to continue to bring joy to you and to them. You hope that when you get on the freeway before 7 o'clock and you live in Nevada, that you're going to be okay getting down the freeway to the city because uh, the traffic won't back up if you get there before. You hope that that's going to be the case. You discipline your children, and it's no fun in the moment for you or them, but you hope that in the end it's going to produce some marginally functional child. That's what you're hoping. It's present... Some of our present company excluded. But, mostly, that's what we're looking for. We hope that we invest in relationships they are going to bring fruit and we're going to have deep and rich friendships, etc. Hope. Hope's important. In fact, the title of my sermon and the title of our series is Hope Changes Everything. Hope changes everything. When we live with hope, it impacts our lives. You know, one of the greatest um, barometers... Of where we see hope at work? Sports fans. Anybody go all 18 innings yesterday with the Giants? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you didn't raise your hand. You're like, what? 18 innings? That's like a doubleheader. No, it's one game. That was the Giants yesterday, went 18 innings. And some people, could you stick it all the way out? Or were you somebody who was like, I can't see this is torture item? It's not gonna happen. They're gonna bring in Petite? No, what? You know, and sports fans are all about hope because there's this expectation. Like, Should I put my heart and my expectations and what I believe could happen or should I withhold it and, and, you know, because what we believe is possible is going to guide us in life. That's what hope is about. What we believe is possible is going to guide us in life and how we live and how we invest and how we risk and what we think and what we do and what we don't do. What we think is possible is going to guide us in life. Sports fans, man, they're notorious for hope and no hope. You know how you can measure it? You can measure it by when the stadium starts to empty and people go to the parking lot, right? Like Dodger fans. <laughs> They're notorious for that. Did you know that? You watch, they show it, especially the Giants, that whenever they play down in, in Chavez Ravine, they'll always show, the, uh, the Giants cameras will always show the fans in like the sixth inning, like, well, it's a two-run game. I got to get on the freeway. You know, like they take off. I looked up the biggest comeback in uh, baseball history in 2001. The Mariners were playing the Indians in Jacobs Field in Cleveland, Cleveland Indians. And the Mariners, Seattle Mariners at the, that year was the best team. They won 116 games. And so they were this incredible team and they were like 80 wins and 30 losses at the time this game was played. And uh, are you thinking right now, baseball nerd? Yes, it's true. So, but they were beating Cleveland at home 14 to two going into the seventh inning. Now, At what point do you think you would have been in the parking lot is the question of this illustration. When we start to talk about hope, at what point do you think, oh my gosh, really? It's Cleveland and it's winter and, you know, it's April or whatever it was. What was it? Oh no, it was September, so it's fall. And they said it was cold and they got 42,000 fans there. At what point does it start to empty out because people think this will never happen, right? Well, in the seventh, they go into the seventh inning. They're losing 14 to two. Cleveland is against the team that's ended up winning a record breaking 116 games. They're This is an amazing team. It's over, right? It's done. But then they score a couple of runs in the seventh. They score like three runs in the seventh. Like, is that when, like, would you then be like, yeah, okay, that's it. Then you go like, so now it's 17. I mean, it's 14 to five, you know? And then in the eighth, they score four runs. It's 14 to nine. Okay? Nobody ever has come back with, you know, from this kind of deficit. And then in the ninth inning, they score two more runs at the beginning of the ninth inning. So now it's like 14 to 11. Then they get the bases loaded with two outs. 14 to 11, bases loaded with two outs. So, and then... Even the players thought, there's no way we're gonna complete this thing. Omar Vizquel comes up to bat and he's quoted as saying, his coach said, the manager, Charlie Manuel said, you know, if you're careful and you get your pitch, you can hit it down the line for a triple and clear the bases and tie this game. And Vizquel was quoted as saying, dude, Charlie, that's not gonna happen. Like, there's no way. Like, this has all been this amazing thing, but there's no way this comeback's gonna be complete. And doggone it, it happened. He hit a triple down the line, 14 to 14, and Cleveland went on to win it in the 11th inning, 15 to 14. It's amazing. And the thing I love about that story is they said there was nobody left in the stands by the end because everybody had given up hope along the way that this was possible. There are 42,000 people in the world who claim they saw that comeback, right? But they didn't have the fortitude to make it happen, to stick it out. What we believe is possible, that's hope, impacts our life. It guides us. It directs us. What you know about what the outcome could be affects your choices, your effort, your risk, your endurance, your investments. You with me? Hope changes everything because if we believe that it could be true, it impacts how we live that out. Hope changes everything. That's what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. And we're reading a book over the next seven weeks. And we're going to read a book called Hope Quotient because Ray has written this great book saying, if hope is that important, you got to raise your hope. you got to stay hopeful because it'll impact how we live out our lives as God's people. And we're going to talk about raising hope for the next seven weeks. And that's the seven middle chapters of Ray's book. Raising Hope chapter one, Raising Hope chapter two, Raising Hope chapter three. So if you're reading along and you buy the book, get to at least that chapter of Raising Hope chapter one for my sermon next week. Hope changes everything. What you believe about what is possible guides how you live. And so friends, think about it. When you then expect that what God has promised could be true, then it impacts how you live and wait And love God. And live your life for him. Here's a definition of hope. It's simple. Hope is confident expectation. Hope is a confident expectation. There's a confidence there. It's rooted in some fact. It's rooted in some evidence. It's rooted in some reality. Hope is confident expectation. And it's an attitude of looking forward to the good things that we believe are coming. And like I said, We believe there's all kinds of good things in our life that are coming. There's facts that say that if you do get on the freeway at a certain time, you're going to get to work on time. There's facts that say that if you work hard for your boss, your company is going to succeed and you're going to be rewarded. There's facts that say that if you invest in your marriage, then it's going to be satisfying and fulfilling marriage. There's facts that say that if you give yourself to the Spirit of God and live for God, then the things that God has promises will become true in your life. So it matters what we hope in and how we live that out. I want to look at a text in Hebrews as I said, chapter 10. And I want you to notice that it's interesting. There's a verse in here about hope, a significant verse about hope, but it's also bracketed by these other two words, faith and love. Hope. I mean, faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. You ever heard of that before? It's from 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, where he says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. These are three biggies for God in the God's economy of God's kingdom, faith, hope, and love. And so I want to understand, I'm going to read the text, but then to understand, we want to look at hope in that context a little bit to help us get an idea of what we're really talking about. Well, here's the word of the Lord, Hebrews chapter 10, starting verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Now stop. You're like, what is that? Wait, what? Oh, my comprehension's not that good. So go back and look at it again. This is really interesting. This is a a picture, he's using a picture of the Old Testament temple, where in the Old Testament temple, it was the place where God dwelled, where the worshipers came, right? And there was a thing called the holy place where they did all the sacrifices and they did all the things that pleased God. And then there was the holy of holies and that was actually the inner sanctuary of the inner sanctuary. And it was the place that they believed the very presence of God was in that place and people couldn't go because he was such a holy God and we're such dirty humans that if we got in the presence of God, we would die immediately. So the only people that could go there was the high priest and only once a year and only after offering all the appropriate sprinklings and washings and sacrifices, right? And he went in there to offer sacrifices into the presence of God for the people of God, okay? So it was very like, God, man, we can't just go running in and waltzing into God's presence, you'll die. And we're a broken people. And so the temple had this thing set up. By the way, they said, the tradition tells us, and you've heard this, that, that the priest, the high priest, just in case he didn't do it right, they tied bells on him and tied a rope around him so that when he went in, they heard the bells go off. If God killed him, they could drag his body out. I mean, it's a, it's a fearful thing. It's a dreadful, you know, like terrifying, holy, awesome God. And they're like, you can't just go running in. Well, look at verse 19 again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Isn't that radical? With confidence to enter it. Not only do we get to enter it, a high priest could only enter it once a year, but we get to enter it. we can have confidence to enter it. So we go right into the presence of God. We enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. Through the curtain, the Holy of Holies had a big thick curtain around, separated it from where the presence of God was. And when Jesus died on the cross, do you remember this? The curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom, symbolizing the wide open access into a relationship with God. Isn't that great news? This is good news. This is sweet stuff. So when Jesus died, he's like, you come into a relationship with God because of my death on the cross. So he says, so now we have confidence to run into our heavenly father's presence because of the curtain has been split open by the blood of Jesus. And he is now the high priest over the house of God who brings us to God. That's what a priest does, he leads us to God. Then verse 22, let us then draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full, uh, the full assurance that faith brings, having been washed and sprinkled and done, like we're, we're made clean to go in, like the priest was. But with the full assurance of faith, there's the faith piece. This is what we believe, that this God thing is real. That God has promised, here's a way to me. And it's through Jesus. So there's the faith piece. And then hope. Verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Let us hold unswervingly to this hope, this faith that we're talking about. Let us hold unswervingly to that hope for he who promised is faithful. In verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love. Here's our faith So hold on swervingly to the hope that it's true, and then let's live it out in love. Well, that's interesting. Faith, hope, and love. Here's how I define those. Here's how I see how they're related. First, faith is believing that this stuff is true. Faith is believing that this God story is true. Faith is coming to believe that he's real. His promises, as we've talked about, are true. Not just the four we mentioned, but all of God's promises. All of what he says about life is is true. This is a reality. We have this confidence to enter the most holy way. Jesus' blood has created this forgiveness that that is so, so uh, forgiving that we can run in with confidence to be with God. This full assurance of faith, it says there. Faith is believing his promises are yes. Faith is believing that God's going to be faithful. Faith is, faith is believing that, that uh, all of this is true. Faith is this foundation of our worldview because of all the evidence that we've seen. And it's even, we, we, we know it's true. We, we believe that it's true, even though in a way to understand or, or, or um, interpret all the things we haven't yet seen God do. Like he hasn't acted there, but, but we have this understanding that it's still, that God is still true. So faith is coming to believe it. Faith is believing this whole God thing is true. Hope is living like that. Hope is living like it's true. Faith is believing it's true. Hope is living that it's true. Hope is putting our hope in it. Hope is putting our trust in it. Hope is living expectantly for it, as we said in our definition. Hope is confident expectation. It's an attitude of looking forward to what the good things that we believe are coming. And then that, changes our lives that changes things that affects how we live because if it's true it's like it's like faith is buying the diamond ring and hope is getting down on one knee does that work hope is living like it's true look at verse 23 let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful his promises, he's going to be faithful to his promises so we can live like those will be true. We can live like this reality that we're believing is true. We're actually going to go live it. And this isn't pie in the sky, cross your fingers, I hope it happens kind of hope. This isn't the, you know what? If we're patient and we're good people, then the universe is going to reward us and everything in the end will turn out okay, hope. That, friends, is not hope. That's a crapshoot. This is hope in Christ. Biblical hope is hope in the promises of God, hope in the Savior named Jesus. This is hope in Christ. It's an expectation that God will act. That's why it says hold unswervingly to the hope you profess. You can hang on to that hope, you can live like it's true. Because he who promised is faithful. So God's promises in Christ will come true. That's why you can be a person of hope. Confidently expecting the good things that we know God will bring because his promises are true. So we hope it's because we believe he's real. So we can live in hope that he's real. We hope that we can believe that we're his. So we're rescued and that we're forgiven and we're known and we're loved. We hope and we believe that he's good. We can interpret the things that happen to us as we know that God is good. So, so there's going to be good in here. Or if evil came to me because of the enemy or evil came to me because of evil people or evil came to me because just, the world's messed up, then God's still going to be able to take something out of that and make it good. That's God's our God we serve. So there's this good thing in there. We hope because he's real. We hope because we're his. We hope because he's good. And we hope because, because the truth is, the promises are that this is all going to end well. What we're going through may end well tomorrow. What we're going through may end well in a year. What we're going through will for sure end well when the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. And someday on that day, that day, the final day, all will be made well. So this is the hope we live in, friends. And we need this hope. This hope buoys us and we can't lose our hope. So there's this faith is, this is, we believe that this is true and hope is, and now we're gonna go live like it. It's gonna affect our lives. And how do we live like it? Well, the last part of there is the love thing. Love is the manifestation of hope. We get to live out of this hope and be people of love. Love is our yes, it's our giving ourselves away as our purpose in life to be a blessing to all people. Verse 24 just says, okay, you hold on to the hope, right? Verse 23, you hold on to the hope because he's promised, he's faithful. You live like it's true. And then verse 24, and now let's figure out how to help each other go and be people of love and bless the world. Isn't that cool? Faith, we believe it's true. Love, we're going to live like it's, I mean, hope, we're going to live like it's true. And love is going to be the manifestation of that because we're God's people. So we just, we got nothing to lose and everything to give. And we become a blessing to the whole world. That's what this, may maybe you'll see that our tablecloth here is, is our banner from last week where we claimed God's promise that we'd be a blessing to the whole world. And we'd be people, agents of love. Well, that comes out of hope, friends. Because we have hope to give. In other words, if all this is true, that's faith, then I will live like it, that's hope, and sell out to being a blessing to the world. That's love. If all this is true, faith, I'm going to live like it, hope, expect it. And then I'm going to sell out and love. That's who we are. Hope links our belief in his yes, his promises, to our yes. So it's critical in actually living out the God story because we have to expect that his yeses are true. And then we have to say, then what does that mean for my life? And so I want to consider two more thoughts before we come to the table. One, hope in Christ actually does change everything about how we live. It changes how we live. If you look at verse 23 again, hold unswervingly to hope for he who promised is faithful. We we tenaciously get a hold of the expectation that God will act, friends. That's our faith, that God's real and he's for us and he's good and it's gonna end well someday. That's our faith. And we tenaciously get a hold of that reality that God will act, that God is active. You see why hope is required? Because when we lose hope, When we go through a season of hopelessness, it's because we've believed that God either isn't acting or won't act or isn't real and therefore can't act, right? But hope says, no, 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 no. I'm going to hold the expectation that he who promised is faithful and God will be active. We become people of an active God. That's hopeful people. And so that changes. So that impacts how we live. If God is going to be acting, okay, if God's going to act, that's different. Like, listen, how do you... Every situation in your life you face, you can face that as a pragmatic agnostic. I I don't know if God's going to be real or is here or is going to be involved in this or... So if he doesn't come through... You know what I'll do? I'll just make sure that I'm going to be... Right? We just put all our plans in place. But what would happen if we considered him faithful who made these promises and we held unswervingly to our expectation that God will act. Does that change how we live? Oh man, this makes me uncomfortable and I'm paid to get up here and tell you this. That makes me uncomfortable. That's real life gospel Jesus stuff. Is he acting? And are we willing to stake our claim on it? Our lives change. If we're really gonna live this hope, then it's gonna change how we live. And if you go back, and I wish I had time to go back and sort of parse and re, um, kind of retell the story of each of the sermons that we did on the promises, but if you go back and you think about holding unswervingly to the hope that, for example, God has provided salvation, that was our first one, and God has provided the Holy Spirit, that's our second one, and God has provided abundant life, that was our third one we talked about last week, and God, or two weeks ago, and God has provided and God has promised that we can be a blessing to the whole world. For example, those are promises. If we hold unswervingly to those promises, they impact how we live. If we hold unswervingly to this hope that in fact God has saved us, that God has provided salvation and forgiveness, that changes how you live. That changes how you think about yourself and your failure. It changes because we know when we have been steeped in the circle, the downward spiral of shame and guilt, for example, and how that impacts who we think we are and what we can become and how we step out and what we can accomplish. But if we actually believed and we're confidently expecting that, no, our God really has saved us, which means his unconditional grace has come and met me like a freight train. Free gift of love, forgiveness, complete forgiven. Sin cast as far as the east is from the west, forgetting my wickedness and remembering it no more. Saved by grace through faith, not by work so that no one can boast. Come on. If you believe that, then we walk around, friends, free. And even bigger, we walk around extending that kind of hope and grace and love and forgiveness to the rest of the world. And now something's going to happen. You with me? It matters. Hope changes how you live. If you believe you're saved, then you have this, if you will, existential freedom and joy. Because your destiny is settled and your soul is set free. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you any more or any less. That's good news. That changes how you live. If we were to believe in his promise and hold unswervingly to this hope that he was going to send the Holy Spirit, think about how that would change how we live. That when we get up in the morning, we become people who say, God, fill me with your presence, your leading. So we actually now think about asking God's opinion on our life and on our day and on our agenda. Does that not change how you live? I saw a little blog and the guy just said, when was the last time you asked Jesus' opinion? It made me laugh because I just thought, I think I believe that, and yet it sounded so funny. He said, even a day. When was the last time you just gave Jesus a day to get back to you with his idea and his opinion on your life? Just give him a day. I don't got a day. i to get my life together. But if his Holy Spirit comes to lead us, Gift us to be a blessing to the church and to the world. Empower us to slay giants we couldn't imagine taking on without his power inside us. That changes how we live. We look at giants now and we go, really? That Philistine? Let me swing my sword. I could take care of that guy. That's what David did. We look at obstacles in our life and we go, God, how are you going to get over this? Because I don't have the strength to do that. How do you want to show yourself glorious and faithful God right now? How are we going to get through this? It changes how you live as opposed to going the other direction and giving up and living defeated. Hold unswervingly to the hope We profess, for he who promised is faithful. It will impact how we live. Here's the biggest one, I think, about what will impact how we live. If we believe that God has given us abundant life, that was one of the promises we looked at. If we believe that God has given us abundant life and we hold unswervingly to that, then we'll live willing to submit We'll live willing to be obedient. We'll live willing to be embedded in God's word so that we have God's way of living and we're willing to die to ourselves and we have the strength to do it because our hope tells us he knows better about life and about my life than I do. So I'm willing to die to myself if it requires that because I want God's way. Think about the daily decisions that that impacts. The biggest one about abundant life The biggest daily decision about abundant life is when we're not experiencing the abundant life. We're in trials and we're in suffering. If we hold unswervingly to the hope that God's promise that he's good and that he brings life at its fullest, we interpret our sufferings and our struggles and our trials and God's silence and the desert and the darkness, we interpret that in light of the bigger picture And we endure. The scripture is full of words that say things like, your endurance will be inspired by hope. In fact, Romans chapter five is a pretty famous passage about this. It says this, it says, I, uh, Romans 5, one, therefore, since we've been just, here's the good news, right? Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through whom we've gained access. um, I'm sorry. Okay. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. That's that picture of the Holy of Holies we read about. This is good news, okay? Because of Jesus, we've got access to God. And that's where we stand in this grace. But then it goes on to say, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Yes! We love the rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Hanging on to my hope that God's going to do great God stuff. we got this salvation. Now do your God stuff. Do glorious things in my life. Magnify yourself. Give me victory. Bring good stuff. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I wish it stopped there. Then it says, not only is this so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. For sufferings produce perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, anybody know? Hope. Even with those trials, God is in the, in the business of developing in us hope. And then it says, and hope does not disappoint us. For God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. We have a way to put into perspective the darkness, the struggles, the trials, the suffering. It's that even in that picture, we hold unswervingly to this hope that God's going to be at work. And even by letting me go through that right now, that I will develop perseverance and perseverance character and character will give birth to more hope but hope will never disappoint us because God, when we have to live in hope, will pour out his Holy Spirit, it says, his love by the Holy Spirit that he's given us. So God loves us in the midst of that. We have a place for all of that. Friends, this world is desperate to have a place to put the evil and the brokenness and the darkness and the shame and all of that. And we have the hope. We know what it is that our God will act. We have a place to put all that. We hold unswervingly to his hope and it therefore then changes how we live and interpret and endure and go through life. Hope matters. And so we cannot afford to lose our hope. That's my last thought. We can't afford to lose our hope because our yes is at stake. Our yes, our obedience, our love, this banner of, I want to be a blessing to the world, God. I want to be your person out there. I want to be, I want to be, a uh, yes to my family, my relationships, to my neighbors, to my county, to my world. I want to be a yes. And when we lose hope, we lose the ability to understand the framework of life. We lose the ability to, to live in, in an expectation. We lose the ability to make the decisions that put us in places where God can come through. We give up and we live sort of this non-Jesus life when we lose hope. We cannot afford to lose hope because our yes is at stake. Our hope, friends, is required not only for living our lives for God, but our yes is required so that we have hope to give to the world. And if we lose hope, then we don't have a message for the hopeless. That's where the enemy wants to get us. Do you think that the little things that happen to you that mount up to big things until you just feel like, what the heck, man? Do you think that happens by accident? There's an enemy of your souls who nitpicks you until you give up hope. And then you have nothing to give a hopeless world. It is a spiritual battle that we're in. And so we got to build our hope, raise our hope, hold unswervingly for he who promised is faithful.